You're listening to 87.6 FM, The Wellness Couch, with Brett and Katarina Morrison. Strengthening your immunity from extreme wellness. We've got an absolute legend on tonight, um, and we're so honoured to have Professor Mark Cohen on our show tonight. What a joy to introduce him, actually. Um, Dr Mark Cohen, or Professor Mark Cohen, echo Dr Mark Cohen, is a medical doctor and one of Australia's foremost pioneers of complementary medicine. Now, his academic side is just... Uh, as highly impressive as his interpreter one. So let's welcome Dr. Mark. How are you going? I'm great, thanks. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, we're, we're so honoured to have you on tonight. Um, now, you're most highly respected by both Western medicine and complementary medicine. You're world renowned um, health expert. In fact, you constantly walk the middle tightrope as a doctor, interpreter, researcher, and consultant author. Um, so let's expose our audience um, to you and how you navigated the uh, path that uh, brings you to your present. Well, I'm still navigating the same path, and it's, it's <laughs> the path to wellness. I, I've spent my whole life focusing on fun and working out how can I have as much fun as possible. And I worked out pretty early that you have more fun when you're healthy and well than when you're sick. So, um, yeah, wellness is a big part of it. So that made me study Western medicine and then Chinese medicine and then electrical computer systems engineering and then natural medicine and nutrition and yoga and detoxification and um, spas and saunas and health retreats, um, really in search of fun. And, and, and not just fun as a frivolous, trivial, momentary thing, but fun as a way of life that um, is really fulfilling and, and positive. And that has you know, led me to doing stuff with commu- you know, communities and gardens and permaculture and you know, the, the global wellness industry and... Yeah, and and then communicating that. So I've done lots of writing, you know, major textbooks on herbs and supplements and textbooks on the spa industry, but also, you know, more than 100 scientific papers on <laughs> all, all, all sorts of um, areas from you know, herbal medicine to nutrition to acupuncture to uh, water to detoxification, health retreats, saunas, spas, all, all of that, hot springs, um, all, of the fun, all the fun stuff. It doesn't have any big industry behind it so much. You know, it's not... Um, drugs and surgery like conventional medicine but it's really recognised and, and by talking common sense and I used to talk about sense as an es- stress management, exercise nutrition, social support and education as the, the pillars of complementary medicine because they complement your health and you know, that, that got me through the medical um, world and you know I, I was teaching at Monash University medical students for uh, a decade and then I was professor at RMIT for nearly two decades, um, promoting wellness and academic discipline. And now I'm trying to do it as an um, entrepreneur, um, social entrepreneur, and just a you know, father and person living in the world, making that, uh, trying to create a culture of wellness. Yeah. And I figure that's what we need. I mean, what, you know, I've always thought we're, we're heading to global transformation um, in my lifetime, and it was going to happen right now, about when I'm at the peak of my sort of professional prowess and networks and resources. And um, what I've learned is, you know, wellness it happens with we, where illness happens with the eye. So wellness is about community and culture. So I'm, I'm really now committed to how do we create a culture of wellness that um, is actually more contagious than illness. And I really believe wellness can be contagious. Beautiful. And that you can infect people with good health. <laughs> and, 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 you know, happiness can go viral. Um, and how, so how do we spread the practices that instill wellness in our life so we become um, a beacon for other people and then we spread it to others. And I've just been researching that for so many years and now I've come up with a whole lot of what I call simple practical solutions that can transform your own life. But in transforming your life, you can then become a beacon then and you can pass those things on and transform other people. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's been my journey. That's a that's a great approach because I think quite often wellness can be seen as a bit of a fad, can't it? Because people go, oh, I'm going to go on a yoga retreat or I'm going to go to the day spa or I'm going to get massaged or whatever it's going to be. But it's it's not always something that's just constantly in their life. And then they tend to try to avoid illness, but they don't really focus on wellness at the same time, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, I mean, wellness has been, you know, it's been commercialised and mm. there's, you know, industry around it, so that becomes quite elitist. And you know, which you know, which health care have you been to, and you know, how many yeah. you know personal trainers do you go to? So there is that sort of um, business aspect to it, and um, but I, but I think 
you know, true wellness is, is what you do every day. Yeah. And it's how you, how you live. Um, and that isn't necessarily um, promoted because the, the, all what's promoted is the way to live where you spend the most money and, oh, yeah. you know, use the most resources and, um, you know, rely on, on big corporations to prop you up. That's what's promoted as a way to live, whereas there are other ways to live that can be really um, inexpensive, um, don't take much skills, don't take much um, training or, or much money, but it can be super rewarding, but no one's going to tell you about them. Well, I know you're, gonna, you're about to yeah. tell us about, um, oh, you, you've just published a um, pandemic guide too. Um, yeah, so, yeah, so I've, I've actually just done that because I've started seeing patients again. So I'm, I'm doing online. Lucky us. <laughs> yeah, well, 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 the thing is, you know, seeing patients, even if, you know, you spend half an hour with a patient at a time, um, you end up saying the same things over and over again because you want everyone to have the basic information. And, you know, I've published in a big textbooks and, and you, know, go, you know, I did a Reader's Digest guide to, you know, doctors' favourite natural remedies and things like that. But I was finding there's all this information that I wanted to give my patients know now um, you know, about how to survive the pandemic and how to overcome fear and how to live well and eat well and you know what supplements to use and what herbs and um, nutrients and um, how you can do things at home with fermented foods and um, hot and cold and you know just using you know water and temperature to change your your whole physiology and your psychology and your immunity um, so really simple techniques and yeah, I put that in, all into this what I call the pandemic survival guide which I'm giving out for free it's just um, it's just a uh, um, a way of creating a culture of wellness. So um, I want everyone to be able to using to use these techniques and to you know grow plants and then to give cuttings to their friends and you know, grow kombucha scobies and give away scobies to their friends so they can they can literally you know infect people with good health um, and you know practice telling good stories and having you know wellness parties where we come and taste different tonics and. Um, have spas and massages and saunas and ice spas and and making this part of and going on bushwalks and you know, river trips. So all of these things can be done um, so beautifully. And and I really realised because I've spent a lot of my my professional time in the you know the luxury spa world. You know, I did a lot of work for Mandarin Oriental hotels when they were the um, top spa group in the world. Um, but then I've also done stuff at Confest and camping where. We've set up, you know, hot tubs and saunas and steam rooms and mud bars and massage areas and yoga areas out in the bush with almost no capital infrastructure. And um, right now, you know, I, I promote a whole concept and it's a whole brand that, that's still emerging called Wild Wellness. And that's when you go out Fantastic. into nature and set up a, a, like a luxury health retreat from your backpack. That's and, just um, amazing, yeah. Yeah, and, and it's possible now. The technology exists and... We, um, I'm really fortunate to work in the spa and the, you know, the hot spring industry, and I'm, um, I got to become one of the owners of Maruya Hot Springs in New Zealand, which is this pristine um, four-acre freehold of a, a hot spring resort in the middle of the Alpine National Parks in the South That's Island. Fantastic, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and we do a thing there, which, which anyone can really do, and, and we call it adventure bathing. So we you know, hike to the top of the mountain where there's these cold tarns, these little lakes at the top of the mountain, high alpine lakes, or we go to the end of a river valley where there's like glacial runoff rivers. And we set up a hot tub and we set up a steam room and we set up heated hammocks and cook a gourmet lunch and take out our bathrobes and, and you know, lounge in um, nature's bathroom. And then we swim in the freezing water because you don't mind swimming in a frozen glacial um, you know, river or... or high alpine lake when there's a hot tub there that's 42 degrees and a steam room and, and a towel so we set up these experiences and it's just it's just um the most fun you can have now i've got to it, say it really people away i've got to say um that you have been influenced i know somewhere in your bio that you were exposed to wim hof you want to tell us the story yeah, well, there yeah, but, well um yeah, when wim hof came to australia one of, one of his, the guys that organized his trip introduced us and we hung out and had dinner and you know, we talked about doing research, and and he asked me to to tour with him and give the lecture on the science yeah. behind the Wim Hof method. And and you know, when I met him, I, you know, I've I've published more than a dozen um, scientific you know papers on breathing, uh, as well as papers on yoga and meditation, and and mostly um, saunas and um, heat. But then and Wim Hof, you know, working with him, he got me really into the the um, the whole experience of not just the heat but the cold, and and that's been really. Um, 
part of culture, you know, part of, you know, bathing culture for, forever. Because yeah. humans have always had cold, and especially places like Japan and Scandinavia where they've got you know, really cold weather, but they've also got hot spring. Or they yeah. make saunas, you know, and saunas in Finland, you know, that's sauna, sauna is actually a Finnish word. Um, but in, when you have a, a sauna in Finland, it's taken for granted. You, you come out of the sauna and you go and roll in the snow where you jump in a freezing <laughs> lake or a river. So the cold is part of the experience. But I think sauna's been taken out of context. And you have saunas in, you know, hotels in Singapore or, um, or the tropics where it's really hot and they don't have an ice bath. They don't have that cold experience, which is an essential part of it. Um, and, you know, talk, in talking to Wim and, and we even I did a whole lot of research with him and planned, we actually planned to go to Kilimanjaro and, and oh, measure wow. stuff and, and they're falling through. But, um, you know, what, what I learned from Wim was, um, you know, the limits of hot and cold and how that, you know, it really made me think through how that changes your physiology. And at that time, I actually put together a whole um, conceptual structure that I call extreme wellness. And that's when you, you visit the extremes of your physiology, mm. not just in terms of hot and cold, yeah. but in terms of the, the five basic elements of life, which is, you know, which is temperature, but it also includes water, so you can dehydrate yourself and then, you know, hydrate yourself. Um, glucose, so you can do feasting and fasting. Um, breathing, so you do, you know, panting and holding your breath, which is what Wim does. Mm-hmm. You know, you do a high, you know, panting and hyperventilation and you hold your breath as long as you can. You do the hot and cold. And then you do flow state activities where you're doing everything possible. So your whole body and your mind are in a flow state. And that, that can be a dance, that can be slacklining, it could be fire twirling, um, all sorts of different flow state activities. And then you actively do nothing with your brain. So And, and actively doing nothing... Um, it's, it's, it's virtually a spiritual practice because you might think you're doing nothing, but there's always less you can do. <laughs> yeah. And you know, the aim of meditation, the whole aim of yoga um, or uh, hatha yoga is to get your body into a stable state so you can meditate. And the aim of meditation is to turn your mind off and actually do nothing. So you know, that is a, it's the highest goal of spirituality is actually to actively do nothing. And there are ways you can trick your body into helping you. So, for example, cold water, an ice bath. If you, if you put your, your body into cold water, you will actively turn off your brain. And that's a survival mechanism because your brain takes 25% of your oxygen, yeah. of your energy. And if you're in cold water and your body's shutting down and it's you know, wasting energy, it's okay, you turn your brain off um, to save energy. So by turning your brain off, that's like going into meditation mode. Um, the same thing happens with when you do hot and cold um, so if you go from sauna to ice bath or sauna to you know, just cold water and, and back a few times, in between the extremes of hot and cold is perfect. And to experience that perfect homeostasis, when, you, when, you, when you're at perfect or thermal homeostasis, and you only sort of visit it as a, you know, on the way through to either warming up or cooling down, depending on you know, where you started, um, all, all your... Physiology goes into balance, so your stress hormones, you know, balance out. Your thinking processes balance out. It's a really great time to just relax and do nothing, and that's actually a really important part of the process. If you're doing, um, you know, one of the protocols is to do you know hot, cold, or rinse, hot, cold, rest, repeat, and the rest is really important because you, you want to do the hot and, and vasodilate your body and let the blood go to the outside and pick up all the metabolic waste products and inflammatory, um, you know, cytokines and things. And then you want to go to the cold, and then that vasoconstricts the outside of, of your um, blood vessels and forces the blood to go into your core and keep mm-hmm. you warm. Mm-hmm. But in your core, that's where your liver and your kidneys are. So that blood now that's picked up all the waste products in your periphery gets filtered through your liver and your kidneys, and it flushes them out. And as long as you stay well hydrated, um, then you know, it's a really great um, regeneration mm-hmm. of your body tissues and a detoxification. And then when you've done from one to the other, then you want to go and rest and just enjoy the balance in between. And that's when your heart rate slows down, your breathing rate slows down, doesn't have to control your temperature, and your, your thought processes are also slow when, you know, but when you're in the cold. And, and also when you're in the hot, it's, um, at the extremes of whether it's hot or um, temperature or um, oxygen or glucose, there's a point um, when your body commands your mind's attention. And it's the point where you go in yoga. If you, if you keep on stretching a muscle, there's a point where your body says, nah, stop here. You know, if you go any further, you're going to hurt yourself. But if you just stop here and focus and breathe, you're going to be okay. So that's the point of what I call forced mindfulness. 
where your body tells your mind to pay attention to it. And it happens when you heat up, and eventually you get so hot, your body says, hey, time to get out, you know, we're cooking here. And if you just then do a few breaths and relax, you can, you can be there and be okay, and then you can change. And the same in the cold. You, you get to a point in the ice bath that says, okay, or cold water or cold air. Hey, I'm cold now. Now let's go inside and put a jumper on, or let's warm up again. And if you can just visit that point and breathe and be there, you can be okay, but you've got to focus on it. Um, so it's, it's nice to play with your physiology in that way, but then to then once you've gone to the extremes, to, to enjoy that point of balance in between. And that's really blissful. I mean, that, that, that is really satisfying and blissful, and um, that helps relieve any anxiety and boost your immunity. And also, it's also the best time to make decisions. If you're, if you're making any sort of life decision, mm-hmm. you, you want to get all the information you can with your head, and then you want to bring your body back into balance with your head, yeah. this point of forced mindfulness when, you, mm-hmm. when your mind and your body are connected. And then you want to decide with your gut. And that your gut feeling will have all the access to the knowledge in your Amazing, head. And there's, you know, there's so many um, mm. the nerves that go between your brain and your, mm. your gut. There's huge pathways there. And your gut, you're tapping into four and a half billion years of evolutionary <laughs> intelligence. Because that's where all the bacteria are. You've got the prokaryotes and eukaryotes and the fungi and all that, all that microbiota in your gut um, is actually has an intelligence that you can tap into. But you can only do it when you're sort of in tune with your body and then um, you know, you've informed your whole body with your mind, then your body will tell you the answer. And that's a really great way to make important life decisions. You've got a lot of um, Indigenous wisdom sprinkled um, with scientific facts as well. That's what I absolutely love about your research. Um, what The recipe for wellness too. I've, I've got it. While, while we're here, I've got a... Um, just a point of gratitude to you too, because um, many of your studies and research papers I've actually referenced when I've talked to or had discussion with allopathic or Western medicine doctors. So mm-hmm. thank you so much because they've really come into um, it, it handy, actually, when needed. So um, fantastic yeah, information. Talking, yeah. yeah, fantastic yeah, information I mean, you've got there. Oh, you know, the textbook, Braun and Cohen, that I wrote with Leslie Braun, it's, you know, it's now its fourth edition. that has been you know, the standard textbook for about you know, 18 years. Um, a lot of people said... You know, who have um, natural medicine businesses, so that book has sort of been the foundation for their business. It has. They said they could defend, you know, what they were doing. But, yeah. <laughs> it's fantastic. Yeah. I um, always go there as a law book, you know. No, no, but this says this in there. You know, Mark said this, Leslie said this. So, um. yeah, well, that, that book is referenced by the TGA. You know, yeah, it's, yeah. Because you know, it's, it's a standard reference. Um, and, you know, that was my education. And, and it was so exciting to, you know, to write that book and learn from that. And recently I've just put all that knowledge to, um, to bear with, uh, a new company we've started called Extremely Alive, where um, I've partnered with the Good Brew Kombucha Company that make amazing living kombucha. Yeah, talk about that. That's fantastic. Because I mean, Brett and, and I actually do kombucha, so keep going. So, so you, you know, if you leave your kombucha and, and you don't attend to it for a while, it doesn't die. It just goes to, to vinegar. Yep. And you can re- you can revive it by feeding it more sweet tea. But if you let it go all the way to vinegar, then the bacteria in the yeast are still alive. They just run out of fuel. So there's no alcohol and there's no sugar left in it. And, you know, we, we get, you know, thousands and thousands of litres of this vinegar. And then um, we decided to experiment with putting herbs in it. So, and now we've come up with, um, we, we, put, we, we soak 10 different herbs. So we yep. get um, or the, the whole herb with no extracts or anything. So we get the whole organic herb, Great. we grind it up, and we soak it in the vinegar for at least a full lunar cycle for a month. Fantastic. And the herbs we use, we want to get the whole plant kingdom. So we use a combination of leaves, roots, flowers, Great. fruits, and fantastic fungi, you know, all the, all the medicinal mushrooms. And because you know, I'm really into Chinese medicine, I go through the five elements and, and the five systems. So we, we actually have five different blends. And there's one blend for your gut, we call it gut balance. There's one for your brain, the brain booster. There's one for detox and cleanse. There's one um, for your hormones, we call it happy and horny. And there's one for your immunity, we call the flu shot. And they're all really different flavors. So, for example, the one we call the flu shot is we picked all the herbs that traditionally treat and prevent uh, respiratory viruses. And they happen to be all the really bitter herbs. So there's you know, andrographis, which is the king oh, of bitter. Oh, that's amazing. You know, there's bitter. Artemisia <laughs> annua, which, which, which Artemisia annua is... Um, sweet wormwood in Chinese medicine has been used for treating fevers, but they're now using it to treat COVID. Overseas, and, um, yeah. COVID, all, all the way yeah. through Africa, yeah, they're using Artemisia annua. It's also, it treats malaria. In fact, Artemisia annua um, shared the Nobel Prize with ivermectin in 2015. 
So they, they were actually co-jointed uh, the, the Nobel Prize because artemisinin was um, the treatment for malaria and ivermectin was the treatment for river blindness. And they were both seen as anti, what, you know, broad-spectrum antiparasitic, but also with antiviral functions. So artemisinin is an amazing herb. Um, it is, yeah. But then, but then we use horseradish and echinacea and reishi and elderberry and elderflower um, and tulsi, you know, which is one of my favorite Holy herbs, basil, you know, yeah. Tulsi, holy basil. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we have this incredible blend that it's really bitter. So, like, you don't have to ask if it don't do anything. You, you feel it as soon as you have a little shot. And you, you only need 20 mils, it's a, and it's quite a concentrated vinegar. Or you can put it into a fruit juice. If you put it into apple juice, yeah. it makes it taste like grapefruit juice. And beetroot juice, that yeah. bitter sweet of grapefruit juice. Um, but that bitter flavour is what prepares your liver for digestion and it wakes your taste buds up. So that's why people in Europe have an aperitif and then have digestive bitters before a meal. It's interesting you say that because a lot of our foods have actually digressed away from bitters, I've noticed. So And, and, and when, you, when you go away from bitter, you go towards sweet. Mm. So if you want to get rid of sweet cravings, if you want to stop craving sweets, you bitters. just exercise your taste buds with a bitter flavour. Um, so that's a really great remedy um, for having, you know, introducing, and, you know, a lot of the um, greens are bitters, you know, rocket and radicchio lettuce, and, you know, they're quite bitter. But, yeah, people have gone away from um, bitter flavours and, and more towards sweet. And, and we see the whole diabetes, you know, diabetes and obesity that's a uh, product of that. So we need more bitters in our life and um, having this a tonic. And then you can play with flavours. And because we have the leaves, <laughs> roots, flowers, fruits and fungi, You've got the rooty fungal flavours, and then you've got the floral and the um, fruity flavours, and you've got the sweeter flavours. And, and it, it sort of exercises your brain because your brain tries to interpret what is this. Um, so, yeah, it's a <laughs> really nice thing to exercise your taste buds. Is that a these. continuous brew that you can make as well? It is. It um, is, yeah. So even if you buy... Um, and we saw these in little jars, like 40 mil jars. You can keep it in your car or in your handbag. Um, and it's still alive. So if you actually feed that up... And when, when you're making kombucha, you... you, you can feed it up to about five to eight times the volume you've got with sweet tea. So you make a you know, pick the the tea you want and, and make a, a very sweet batch, and you can add to, if you've got a vinegar maybe five times, um, and then you wait a week or two and you, the whole thing will be vinegar and you can do five times that, and you wait another week or two and then you can do that five times. So you know eventually you, you can create your own brewery out of just a, a small amount because it's a it's a literally a, a well a starter culture. And, you know, and I was talking about how my, my aim in the world now is to create a wellness culture. Yes, this business, we, we sell starter culture and, and we're, happy, we're happy to sell it to you. We're happy to teach you how to do it yourself and keep on doing it. And then you can give that to your friends and they can give it to, you know, keep it going. Um, so that's one of these ways you can infect people with good health, literally, with these um, symbiotic colonies of bacteria and yeast. Fantastic. Does the research actually support um, gastrointestinal wellness um, with kombucha? Because there's been some studies that uh, don't align. Well, there's, there hasn't been any um, randomised controlled trial, human trial of oh, kombucha. Good. And if you look at the history of kombucha, it's, it's fascinating. It goes back, It is. You know, yeah. they say, maybe 10,000 years with um, in probably Manchuria and the northern reaches of China where they were growing you know, tea. And someone probably left some you know, sweet tea out and it fermented and became fizzy and, and made everyone feel wonderful when they drank it. So <laughs> it, was actually, it was actually called the tea of immortality or the elixir of life. And that was, it was in China. And the Mongols used it. And they actually took um, kombucha across the Silk Road to Europe. So the Mongols, you know, they, they you know, were horseback, you know, taking over you know, the whole of Central Asia. Um, they used to brew kombucha and then when they brought it to Europe um, the brewing became the, the realm of the alewives or the witches you know how the witches brew and they, <laughs> yeah. you know, they knew all the herbal law and they could make brews that would help you or, or hurt you um, until you know, and we, a lot of that knowledge was lost and then um, brewing became the realms of um, culinary you know making pickles and ferments and sauerkraut oh, and um, you know parts of food you know, preserve, you know, food preservation, but also food enhancement. And, and it's study, we, we just did a study on our kombucha. Um, Fantastic. And found that it's got two and a half times the polyphenols of green tea. Oh, just what we need for flus at the moment. Fantastic. Well, that's it. And, but, um, you know, we start with green tea because there's only three ingredients for kombucha. You know, there's water, sugar, and tea. And then, I mean, with our tonics, we add all the 10 herbs. But just to make the base brew, it's just water, sugar, and tea to ferment. 
And but the, the, uh, well, actually, and scobia, you know, symbiotic yeah. colony bacteria in the That's the magic ingredient, and it's you know it's microbial magic because it, it takes the green tea and it dub, you know two and a half times the polyphenol count. So it's actually making its own nutrients. It's making biotin and all these other um, phytochemicals from the bacteria that weren't even in the in the tea. And then when you add other herbs, it, it bioactivates um, a lot of the herbal oh, ingredients. Fantastic. So, yeah, it, 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 it really is. I mean, what we're doing essentially is witchcraft, um, making these herbal tonics. But you can do it at home. Um, and, yeah, I, I encourage people to, to play with it. And it, it's pretty hard to get it wrong. I mean, I, as long as you keep the acid level up, um, pathogens won't grow. So as long as it's, you know, it's got a good vinegaryness to it, and then, and then you can stop fermentation anytime you want. You put it in the fridge. But with our, with our tonics that we sell, um, extremely alive wellness tonics. They um, they don't need refrigeration because the, there's no fuel for the bacteria to ferment. So you can keep them out of the fridge, and, and that's you know one of the greatest things. Because if you're selling a living kombucha product, if you don't refrigerate it, um, it ends up being a hand grenade and explodes when people open it. Um, yep, had that happen. That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. That's that's just fantastic with the polyphenols. I'm really impressed, um, you know, because, I mean, the talk at the moment for pre or during or even post um, preventative strategies for, you know, the, will I say the flu rather than that word, um, is um, polyphenols and increasing fibre in the diet. So, um, Well, polyphenols are great because they, um, you know, polyphenols in all the bioflavonoids that actually enhance zinc getting into cells. Mm. So that's, yeah. um, And I've been promoting nutritional... um, Solutions where, so that you know, I talked about having fun and wellness. Well, you know, what, what could be better than eating pumpkin seeds with chocolate coated goji berries? Oh, yum! Yeah, but the pumpkin seeds are really high sources of zinc, and the, cho- and the chocolate and the goji berries are really high in um, quercetin and hesperidin and luteolin and all the all the um, bioflavonoids that help the zinc get into the cells. So you can just you know, if you're just snacking on you know chocolate-coated goji berries and pumpkin seeds, you're actually providing, you know, all the ingredients your cells need to fight off viruses. Unbelievable. And I'd much rather do that than buy supplements or pills or, you know, taking pharmaceuticals that do that. I think the uh, latest research that's coming out as well just actually shows that um, even the polyphenols like curcuma just um, had a major impact on mortality with people who actually... um, well, I say got COVID. Yeah, well, I mean, there's studies on people who eat fermented foods, like the populations that have high high amounts of fermented foods and have you know, more microbial diversity actually do much better. Their immune systems are stronger. Um, so it's just, and, and not just fermented foods. I mean, and generally, if you're having more fermented foods, you're going to have more spices because spices are involved with the fermentation. And you can, I mean, you can, and you can do fermented curcumin. You know, you add turmeric to pickles and ferments and, and you can even bioactivate that so there, there really is so much potential that things you can do at home at almost no cost and that and that's what i love about it so you can just brew it yourself you know or you buy a starter culture and um you can share it with your friends and you can add to it and, and add from your garden and whatever other projects you can do secondary ferment so i love these things that don't cost money that's why i love tulsi plants because oh, yeah. you can have a Tulsi plant and, and eat from it every day and take a few leaves. And, and, and that's what they do in India. That, you know, every um, every you know, Hindu household has a, a, um, a Tulsi plant that they worship. Uh, and you can use it like basil. It's in a holy basil. So make it into pesto, make it into tea. But you can take a cutting from it and put it in, in water on your kitchen table or wherever. And after a week or two, that'll grow, grow roots. And you can plant it and give it to your friend. Wow. It's amazing. And, um, yeah. It, yeah, it's like the gift that keeps on giving. Just and they, they can then grow it and give it to their friends. Just beautiful. So obviously there's a lot of um, pre- and probiotics, obviously, with the foods that you're talking about that um, you know, will affect the gastrointestinal symptoms of a mm. flu. Absolutely fantastic. Well, having um, your own I, I, like probiotic, so we, we, the study we've just done, we've just sent it off for publication, so it's not fully peer-reviewed and published yet, but we, we did a message and a mix study on the kombucha. Um, like PCR testing, basically, and we discovered there's more than 200 different microbial species. Oh, beautiful! Oh, and 108 colony-forming units, and um, it's and they used to think there was maybe five to 11 main species in um, kombucha, and mainly Acetobacter. But one of the, the holy grails of getting kombucha with high gluconobacter, 
and gluconobacter um, makes gluconic acid, which tastes sort of sweet, but it's not sugar. It's a, you know it's an organic acid. Um, so yeah, we've got really high gluconobacter um, levels, but also all these other um, you know, 200 microbial species. So it's, it's like a really complex um, probiotic mix. But some of those bacteria and yeast will actually create prebiotics for your gut. So and a lot of probiotics, it's not like you take probiotics and the probiotics necessarily colonize your gut and that replaces it. it they, but they provide the environment for your healthy gut bacteria. Now, does that come down to the SCOBY that you actually use to make your kombucha? Um, well, it's a combination. So, yeah, the SCOBY that you start with will, will have a big factor, but then the SCOBY will adapt to how you feed it. So it's always good to keep, keep um, the same sort of tea, for example, if you're using oolong tea or green tea or a black yeah. tea, because your SCOBY will sort of adjust to that tea. And I've actually heard, um, I was talking to some friends the other day who they trained their SCOBY to go on star anise tea. So oh, it wasn't even, wow. wasn't even wasn't even um, Camellia sinensis. It wasn't even tea. Wow. Was, you know, you're fermenting herbs. And, and I've been um, fermenting pine needle tea recently where I get star anise and fennel and I um, boil up pine needles from cypress pine and um, then add sugar to it. And um, it ends up doing a wild ferment. And it, it's amazing. Um, but it's not really kombucha, though, because kombucha is a, is a tea ferment. Yeah, and I've heard you can do something similar with elderflower as well. Yeah, that's, that's right, elder. Yeah, so you can. There's lots of different, um, but I guess wild ferments aren't as, just like you're trying to do a wild ferment um, yeah. with a sourdough. Um, it's not as reliable. And, you know, you're talking about infecting people with good health. Well, there are some scobies and some, you know, bacteria and yeast combinations that, that get handed down through the generations. Because it's not just a symbiotic colony of bacteria and yeast. It's bacteria, yeast, and humans that feed it. So we're part of the symbiosis. So these bacteria and yeast have, have evolved to serve us. And we've, we're yeah. serving them by promoting, growing them and giving them sugar and tea. And um, So we're part of that symbiosis. And these things are super good for us. You know, bacteria are our friends and we want to really protect them. And that, that, you know, that's really part of um, being well. You know, talk about well is about we. It's not just you know, the humans, it's about all the living things around you. It's about the soil. It's about your, your gut bacteria. That's all part of your well-being. Yeah, it's funny you say that because I know, because look, look, we've been doing kombucha now, well, probably over seven, seven or so years, probably longer. And I know in one of my previous workplaces, someone came up to me one day and said, oh, look, I'm trying this kombucha I got from so-and-so. It turned out like I'd already given someone a scoby who had given them a scoby who had then passed it around to this other person and they're coming back to tell me how great this kombucha was. And they're going, yeah, that's a good idea. I might try that. Um, but yeah, it, pretty much it just been passed around. Like they, like you said, they grow and you split them and you pass them along and share it with somebody else. And it was just a great yeah. way to go, yeah. Had something to do with that. That's well, nice. It makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, in the agricultural world, we're talking about regenerative farming. You know, yeah. we're looking at replacing things into the soil. So obviously, you know, enhancing our microbiome. It really, the analogy is aligned. Yeah. Uh, and and yeah, feeding. You know, when you're when you're doing farming, you're really in service of the bacteria in the soil. You know, you're trying to make sure you've got healthy worms and healthy soil, and and same with your healthy your body. If you've got a healthy microbiome in your gut, that's the soil that you carry around. Um, that, that's the foundation for the rest of your health. And, and one of the big things about um, growing kombucha um, is using good water. Yeah. Talking about water, talking about water, you do have, um, uh, you're quite well known for your water filters, beautiful water. And even um, even that beautiful logo that you actually have on online that I've saw, um, it's got, um, well, there's some sacred geometry there. It looks like Metricon's... Um, it's, not, it's, not just, it, it's not just sacred geometry. Yeah, so, so I've, you know, I ended up, you know, doing integrative medicine and started a water filter company just because, you know, I always say that when you get the basic things right, and it's like a permaculture principle from Bill Mollison, when you get the basic things right, other things can go right by themselves. But if you get the basic things wrong, it's really hard to play catch up. And one of the most basic basic things in all of life is water. And for years and years, I used to lecture about, you know, the 10 toxic truths and how toxic the world is and... Um, used to pre, you know tell everybody they need a water filter and they'd ask me which which filter should I get and I'd answer it's complicated because it is complicated yeah. and yeah. there wasn't one filter I could find that was the answer so I ended up developing a, a range of filters that were um or the or the best that I could find and then I, I didn't want 
water that was just filtered. For me, beautiful water, which is, is my brand, beautiful water, it's not just filtered. It's filtered, it's structured, it's balanced in terms of pH and minerals, it's blessed, and it's free. And that means it's free that you don't pay for the water, but also it's free-flowing. You're not storing it in a tank or a bottle. It's, it's actually freely flowing as, as water likes to do in nature. So that was my criteria to create. How do I create a water company that has water that's you know, filtered, structured, balanced, blessed, and free? And the blessed part, um, to think, how do, you, how do you bless water? And then you know, mm. I did a lot of work with um, yeah. well, you know, research in Mazaro Moto's yeah. work. And I actually got to speak at the... Um, International Conference on the Physics, Chemistry, and Biology oh, of Water, fantastic. which um, Gerald Pollack runs every year. So I, I spoke there in 2016 in Bulgaria. I met some amazing water scientists there. And, you know, there's you know, spiritual wisdom. Um, indigenous wisdom says that you want to hold your water sources sacred, that you want to have a good feeling about mm, where your water comes most from. Most definitely. Mm. Uh, and, you know, most people, their water comes from an industrial meter that gets read and tells them how much they owe the government. Um, and it, the water comes to their property pre-poisoned. Mm. <laughs> um, so you don't really have a good feeling about it. So I went to the water filter that I feel good about. So I, I, got, I actually worked with three different designers and got this incredible design drawn up, which looks like a water droplet, but also a water crystal and a flow form and bubbles. And then it's got sacred geometry, Metatron mm-hmm. cube, which contains all the five platonic solids. Yeah. And then it took a lot of work to do, but then I, you know, and I just wanted to see if it could be done. And the, the graphic designers rose to the occasion. So all the lines that make up Metatron's cube are actually text. And that text says, I love you. Oh, I it's so beautiful. You, I thank oh. you. <laughs> I bless you. I am you. Which, which for me goes through the five elements and the five rhythms of oh, different blessings of water. So, you know, I love you, I respect you, I thank you, I bless you, I am you. It's written over and over and over again in microscopic writing. So and can unless you, you get a mic... Can you let our audience a, know um, what Masura's Emoto's work um, or research oh, he, well, exposed? Masura Emoto, um, well, he, 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 was, he, he didn't call himself a scientist, more as an artist. He, he took photographs of water. and has a famous book, mm-hmm. Messages in Water, mm-hmm. where he took... Um, photographs of water crystals after the water being um, put in different situations. And there's, if you just Google Mazara Moto and water crystals, you'll, you'll see all these incredible um, <laughs> the six-sided hexagonal crystals like snowflakes that different um, from different water sources. And, and the water actually looks different depending on how it's been treated or spoken to. And, mm-hmm. and he, he has a, um, a blessing of, um, I love you, I respect you, I thank you. Um, and then... The you know haponopono is you um you know I'm sorry I love you forgive me thank you so you know I sort of adapted those and then came up with the five blessing um, for beautiful water which if you get a, if you get a magnifying glass on our on the whole house water filter you can actually read it on the label <laughs> um, but um but even if, even on the smaller filters um and and I have a uh, another device I call the beautiful water enhancer because it's not actually a filter it's um it's a vortex device and this this yeah. device is actually patented in Switzerland uh, it sends the water through these plates that look like a propeller mm-hmm. but they're little actually like impellers that force the water to go into vortexes so and, it affects and the water frequency, naturally yeah. yeah yeah water naturally likes the vortex so if someone water's flowing down a mountain stream it doesn't flow straight down no. you know bubbles and you know goes backwards and forms eddies and and when water goes into a vortex, it actually has like low pressure in the middle of the vortex, and that's where it outgasses, and um, you get cavitation bubbles. So carbon dioxide and chlorine and other um, things can outgas. And you find when you when water goes through this device, um, the water um, crystals, like the calcium carbonate crystals, uh, go from a, a block shape to a rhomboid shape, oh, wow. and they become more soluble. And that means you don't get um, like film building up on your Scarf, shower screen yeah. or, or your glassware. Wow! So you know you don't have to clean your shower screen anymore. You just put water, or you wash your windows. You just put the water on it. The water will just sheet down and and rinse off. Um, it means the water will will uh, clean without detergent, uh, even you know better. And if you put detergent in, the detergent will dissolve better and sud sud more, so you don't leave um, detergent scum on your hair and your skin and on your surfaces. It means um, if you cook bread, you'll get a moister dough and, and lighter, fluffier bread. It means if you make concrete, you'll get stronger concrete because of the, the way the water um, structure 
structured water. And if um, plants grow about 30% better with <laughs> less water when you use structured water. So this, and, and the main reason why um, they make these devices is because it stops scale formation on pipes and, and boiler units. So these um, devices are often used in agriculture, but also in big production facilities because you know, if you've got a source of hard water, then the pipes can scale up and you've got to replace your pipes every 10 years. So this is um, like a descaling technology using vortexes. And, and it's not a filter, so it never needs to be replaced. It's literally the, the structure of water flowing through it um, creates a negative charge. That's amazing. And um, restructures the water. So, that's, yeah, I mean, water technology, there's still so much we don't understand about water, uh, but there are some simple things you can do. And even if it's just, if you go and write, you know, something, I love you, I respect you, just write it on a, a sticker and put it on your water meter. Um, just to change the way you feel about how where your water comes from, that can even make a difference. Yeah, yeah. We should be blessing our food and water anyway, shouldn't we, prior to meals? That's exactly right. Yeah. And that's, as I say, that's indigenous wisdom says, you know, we want to have a good feeling and, and hold your water sources sacred. So, um, you know, I, I, I'd much rather have my water come from a sacred water vessel that looks beautiful um, and has, you know, intention uh, in, in the design rather than just an industrial piece of equipment. Yeah. I do have a question because in amongst all of your medical degrees and training mm-hmm. and also your businesses and and history, outside, yeah. and, and history there there is a um, doctorate in electrical engineering. How, how, do, how does that play together? Like, I guess I have a view on how that plays together because I have an electrical background. Um, yeah, so, so I, I, I started studying medicine um, at Monash in 1982. And after three years, I... I'd learned, you know, about the body. But I learned about illness, but not about wellness. So I took yeah. a year off and did an honours degree, and I wanted to study pleasure. And they said, no, that's frivolous, um, but we'll let you study pain. <laughs> <laughs> so I did an honours degree in, in two departments, in physiology and psychology. Um, and I was based at, you know, Prince, he- Prince Henry's Hospital, which, you know, was the old Prince Henry's and, and the Alfred between those two hospitals. Um, then I went back and did Chinese medicine. Actually, you're the first well, professor, weren't you, I, I, at RMIT? Yeah, well, that, yeah, but for a while, but this was in the 80s where I, when I actually um, studied, I took, did fourth year, then studied Chinese medicine, did a PhD in Chinese medicine, went back and finished my medical degree. And then I was working at um, Monash Uni in medical informatics in the early 1990s. Mm. And medical informatics was all about, you know, how the computers, and this is before even graphical interfaces um, were around, and the internet was just, you know, just being born, uh, worked. And I was really interested in wellness and having fun, and I realised technology can help you have fun. But um, how could how could technology do that? Well, we had to learn as much as the body about the body as you could, and you need technology for that. And I wanted to know how you know electricity worked in the body and how the body worked as a communication network because that's the acupuncture understanding. Yeah. And, and my the thesis I did in Chinese medicine uh, was about information using information technology to unpack Chinese medicine, and. Um, I got involved with uh, trying to write grants for acupuncture. I was, I was the first person in Australia to, to formally teach acupuncture mm-hmm. to medical students. I yeah. did that at Monash Uni in the early 1990s. And I ended up um, writing a grant to do an education, acupuncture education program. And I was sitting next to a woman who was at the same grant writing workshop, and she was an electrical engineer who was from Belgrade in Yugoslavia. And she'd done acupuncture research looking at acupuncture pathways in the body. That's not synchronicity. <laughs> yeah, and so we got chatting, and she said, why don't you come and do a PhD? I said, I don't need to. I've already got one. She goes, come and do another one. <laughs> and she, she invited me to work with what was the, um, they used to call us the X-File researchers. We were doing research on the sunspots, <laughs> yeah, yeah. electromagnetic fields, and how the meridians work in your body. And we had the Gyoto monks came, and we did the EEG measurements of the Gyoto monks while they were chanting, and we looked at how the effects of dolphins um, on oh, autistic children, favorite, uh, yeah. how dolphin songs affect. So we were doing all this like, really, and how solitron waves, how um, uh, electrons flow down protein oh, backbone wow. and form waves. So we, we, yeah, I did work on sun, sunspots and psychiatric hospital admissions, all this, all this wonderful research to, to really understand how um, the body works as a communication network and um, how the concepts of entropy um, and you know, closed systems worked. Um, in the body because entropy is the source of disorder and I was mm. you know how, how do you circumvent disorder and disease well you do that by creating open systems 
And how do you do that? Well, you have to understand the communication network. So I ended up doing a, a PhD in electrical computer systems engineering. Yeah. Um, as you do. Yeah, when you've got some spare time. <laughs> yeah. Now, um... Yes, and, and yeah, so Irina Kossig, she was my um, supervisor for my, that PhD. She then also, she actually went from Monash University to RMIT, and we, we both, and she was the head of the Department of Electrical Engineering at RMIT for many years, um, while I was the head of the Department of Complementary Medicine at RMIT, where I, I was in charge of all the chiropractic, osteopathic, and um, Chinese medicine program. That was in the early 2000s. Yeah, wow. Yeah, we truly best, blessed to have and, you, actually. Yeah, well, that was it was interesting for me because I went from at Monash University. I was the, like the the alternative doctor amongst the conventional doctors at the medical school, and then at RMIT, I was the conventional doctor amongst all the alternative doctors in the osteochiro and Chinese medicine department. So it was a really good balancing thing for me, and um, it actually freed me up when RMIT sort of restructured itself to create wellness as a new discipline which is a, a multi-discipline. And um, I got to set up the Masters of Wellness program at RMIT and, and sort of lead a whole amazing group of um, educators where we, we were teaching, you know, we're pushing the envelope of, you know, how holistic we yeah, can teach, but yeah. we were teaching you know, permaculture and yoga and positive psychology in, in a master's program at university level. Um, and it was just amazing. We had, you know, that ran for 10 years and um, such a, a great privilege to have created that and, and we used to have retreats that, that the students would come to and the staff would come to and really I was able to create a community around myself that supported me in being well and um, doing that also through the Integrated Medicine Association where I spent um, eight years as president in the early 2000s and ran these holistic health conferences where I'd network with all the, the top holistic you know, speakers and made them my peer group. And now, you know, 30 years later, they're still my dear friend. Isn't that beautiful? Obviously, your perspective on health and wellness is obviously uh, multidimensional, no doubt about that. Um, Mark, you've got extreme wellness protocols too um, towards strengthening the immune system, I'd say. I won't mention that yeah, word and, just in case. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, for... so, so, I mean, I've, I've been looking at that my whole life, yeah, how to become extremely well. Yeah, it's not new for you, no. That's it. And so I feel every, you know, all, all my whole skill set is coming to play now. And, and as I say, I've focused on the one that are really simple and, and can be done with not much training or equipment or cost. And um, so, you know, you know, so I've been promoting other protocols that, you know, you know vitamin C and D and zinc and you know, all, all those things. But also, um, often they neglect the herbs, so things like Artemisia annua yeah. and Andrographis yeah. and, and um, things like rosehip, you know, or poly, you know, things that are high in polyphenols and um, bioflavonoids. Because they help you get into cells, so there's and quercetin you know, that a lot of um, practitioners yeah, are talking about. Yeah, you, know, you, you can buy, buy it as a supplement, but why not take it as a, you know, in a in rosehip um, yeah, rose hip, um, powder or you know, there's so many other um, great um, nutrients that, that are high in you know hesperidin and um, orange peels and I make you know orange and um, chia and almond oh, pudding, yum. you know, using the whole peel and and or yeah, so there's ways you can do that nutritionally. And, and the other the other thing that I'm really passionate about is using hot and cold and there's so much research on on the use of heat to boost immunity in fact if you look at nature for the last 600 million years every every time a fish an insect a bird a, ma- a reptile or a mammal gets a virus they raise their body temperature that's been the evolutionary response to viral infections for 600 million years and humans do it you know we generate a fever but um that actually takes a lot of energy and makes you really tired to generate that metabolic heat to, to create a fever. But since there's been humans, we've outsourced that to um, either a hot spring or you know, a sauna or some external heat source. And you can do that at home in your hot bath. But just by you know, having a, a hot bath and raising your body temperature to the point where you're sort of comfortably, uncomfortably hot. Yeah. You know, that point of forced mindfulness that I talked about where, where your body's saying, hey, it's a bit hot, you know, I've had to turn on my cooling, I'm starting to sweat, you know, maybe we should get out. That, at that point, you've actually raised your body temperature and boosted your immune system. And that, that's, you know, that's, there's so much research that points to that. But at the start of the pandemic, I was criticised for talking about that, saying, you know, how dare you say that? There's no science behind it. I knew there was so much science, so I wrote a scientific paper on it. <laughs> Um, and got it published. 
Fantastic. So that's, that's you know, open, open access. It's called Turning Up the Heat on COVID-19. And it documents all the, not just the um, evolutionary evidence and the epidemiological evidence from um, all the sauna studies that have been done um, and that show that if you have a sauna more than three days a week, you reduce all-cause mortality. You, you reduce the chance of dying of all causes. But you also reduce the chance of dying from heart attack and stroke and respiratory pneumonia and viruses. And, and Alzheimer's disease and all these great things just by having you know, regular saunering. And then there's actually randomized controlled trials showing that you can, if regular hot and cold will prevent um, cold and flu. And if you've got cold and flu symptoms, it'll help treat symptoms. So there's every range of evidence from evolutionary to historical to anecdotal to controlled trials of both treatment and prevention that shows that the heat is really effective. And then you can go into the cellular mechanisms of heat shock proteins and how when your body heats up, the immune cells become more mobile and their membranes become more fluid and they can engulf things better. Um, And then you go into the whole science of the nose and how the nose is really a heat exchanger. Um, And it's really only in in winter time when, um, when flu season starts, when your nose becomes the coldest part of your body it's breathing in the cold air and it's trying to heat up and humidify that air. And at that time also, you know, in the winter when your nose is getting really cold, there's less sunshine, so you've got less vitamin D and you're living indoors, maybe there's mould and you're not having as, as many um, fresh foods. But your whole immune system gets this, this um, downtrodden a bit. And, and when the, the two layers of mucus in your nose, so you've got um, like a thick layer that yeah. captures pollen and particles, you know, call them the boogers, and then you've got the snot layer, you know, the slimy yeah, the uh, wet layer yeah. that it rides on. And that slimy wet layer is, is um, driven along by the cilia that sit underneath. And those cilia beat, you know, about two mils a minute. They move that, you know, the conveyor belt of slimy snot with the, the chunky bits on top. And those chunky bits are where the viruses and particles and um, pollution will get expelled, and they'll ride on top. And But if if it dries out and it can't move and the cells beneath dry out and crack because it's cold air and, and cold air is necessarily dry air, um, that's when the viruses can actually penetrate and get in. So by having a, you know, keeping your nose nice and humid, that's one of the most important defences. And then, you know, having, you know, IgA, you know, the, that, that's your first line of defence, the mucosal membrane, um, having that supported with, you know, good food. But also, you know, the traditional Aussie um, treatment of getting a, boiling water, putting some eucalyptus mm. oil in it, putting a towel over your head and steaming your face and just keeping your, your mucous membranes nice moist, and moist yeah. and, um, and maybe a bit of tea tree, which is antibacterial, antiviral. Um, that's really effective. But then we also know that um, any um, virus, especially em- enveloped viruses with a lipid coating, they melt at 55 degrees. Like they literally, like, like coconut oil goes from solid to solid. Wow. Well, the viruses at 55 degrees, they melt and they're destroyed. And, and it's not that you kill them because they're, they're not alive, but they actually get physically destroyed at 55 degrees. And they actually use that in America. Um, Ford Motor Company heats police cars to 55 <sighs> degrees to sterilize them. Wow. Um, so if you're breathing, if you're in a sauna at 55 degrees and, and that, that you can get 55 degree air into your nose, um, that would kill the viruses. But it's not necessarily the heat that kills the virus. It's also your immune response and your increased resilience and, and immune activity that help, helps fight them off. But certainly, um, you know, a sauna is one of the safest places you can be during the pandemic. So viruses can't survive at high temperature. So it sounds like a sauna is probably a better investment than a set of weights at home. Um, yeah, potentially. I mean, saunas, you know, for me, it's more fun. Yeah. Um, you can share it with other people. And... Um, you know, a sauna is a complete workout because you get a, a major cardiovascular workout in a sauna. You do. And, and, in fact, most of the research, actually, one of, one of my students, um, Joy Hussain, uh, she's a medical doctor up in Brisbane. She just spent the last six, seven years studying saunas. And she's just um, received the, the examiner's comments. So she, she's passed her PhD with you know, some few little minor things. Um, and we're just publishing, I think, our third or fourth oh, paper on saunas. Together, so yeah, I just found out today that she, you know she's her PhD was accepted, although it's still not, you know, still has to be rubber stamped. But yeah, yeah, so we spent six, seven years studying saunas together. Wow. Are there any particular um, saunas? Like, there's obviously red light, there's um, infrared. You get the ones that you put the coals. Yeah, and um, the, the traditional ones, yeah. 
yeah, I, mean, I prefer the traditional one where you can have it dry or you can put steam on it. And the, the, the amount of water in the air um, determines the heat transfer. So water transmits heat 25 times more than air. And that means you can, you can survive in the dry sauna at even 100, 110 degrees um, centigrade if, it, if the air is really dry. But when you start putting steam into the air, um, the temperature you can tolerate is much less. So if it's a full like humidity steam room, even 48 degrees, can be too hot, yeah, wow. um, and I like to play with that with the humidity as well you know, as well as the heat, and also then to put some essential oils in the the water and then use that. Although I've got I've just actually I've got two saunas at home now. I've got, I've got an infrared sauna and I've built one in my lockdown project last oh, year wow. was to finish off a like a proper finish sauna, and um, yeah, it's, it's such a great asset to the house, and um, and you know sometimes you, you just feel a bit. When you're feeling a bit cold, you get a bit cold around your kidneys and um, you get a bit of a chill to, you know, to yeah. know that you can heat up any time. And it, one of the things that Joy and I researched, we, we did a global sauna survey asking people about their sauna experiences, and one of the unanimous things came, um, that came back was people sleep better. Oh, yeah, if you have a sauna, it improves yeah. your sleep. And it, sleep is so important and, and for your immunity, but also just for coping with the world. If you're not sleeping well then it's hard to you know, do all the other things. But if you have a really good night's sleep, you, know, you can cope with it so much easier. Um, and it's really well known that you fall asleep when your body's cooling down. So, for example, it's really hard to go to bed or fall asleep with cold feet until yeah. your body can naturally cool down. Um, as your body naturally cools, cools down, that's when you drop off to sleep. So if you have a hot bath or a sauna um, before you go to bed, and I recommend doing hot and cold, but then if you go to bed, you can finish on warm. Um, then you naturally, you, well, during the sort of you're having a cardiovascular workout that makes you tired, and um, yeah, you you sleep really well, which is just boosts every aspect of your life. And and as I say, it's sort of something much more, um, you know, it can be social, and you know, I have sauna parties. Sauna parties, <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, it, and that's in Finland. It's, part, it's literally part of their culture. So sauna is not just. Uh, uh, ex- you know, I guess gym is part of the culture too. Yeah, and there's, yeah, you know, is, there's yeah. culture around weights and stuff, and you can do that socially. So no one's not saying one's better than the other. But yeah, I think it's a great investment in in your health and well-being. Just as a water filter is a great investment in your health and well-being, because you know, if you yeah. don't if you don't use a filter, you are a filter. And um, I have this theory that we actually we actually um, haven't done the study on it. We designed a study, but I have this theory that drinking less poison is good for you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the power of conscious consumption. Yeah. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah, no, we definitely notice the difference. We've moved down um, to Apollo Bay and we've got tanks and we then filter that rainwater and it's, it's really nice. And people who come and visit go, oh, your water tastes different. It tastes so much yeah, nicer. And, 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 the, and your kids want to drink water. Yeah. Like they really enjoy drinking water, whereas you know, if, it's, if it's chlorinated water out of the tap, they just don't want to drink it. No. no. Well, look, it's been an amazing hour. Our hour is up, actually, Dr. Dr. Mark. Um, so... Before, well, that was fun. Yeah, it was. It's fantastic. But before we go, um, where can people find you? Where can they get your books and your um, packs? You're just practicing and, again, yeah, too. We, we <laughs> haven't <laughs> even talked, talked about my children's books and my poems. No, <laughs> we, we haven't got that far. I think we need to get <laughs> you back <laughs> on. Seriously. I know. We need another hour. We need to get him back on. Yeah. Seriously, yeah, because he's I'm a wealth of knowledge. Yeah. Because I've got some great poetry that yeah, um, is really condensed information. So, Dr. Mark, D-R-M-A-R-C.co. That's my website. And if you go to drmark.co forward slash guide, you can download the Pandemic Survival Guide with with a whole lot of information and absolutely amazing. Yeah, yeah, it's a great resource for health. So just drmarc.co forward slash guide and download my guide and um, yeah, and you can find me all all my brands and stuff in that guide. You can find me that way. Okay, Um, Facebook, Twitter. Instagram. And if if yeah, they want to make uh, an appointment with you as an integrative medicine specialist, oh, I'm booked out. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm, I'm having stopped taking patients, I'm totally booked out. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I am doing consults, but yeah, it's really hard to, <laughs> to get in. Yeah. And I'm, but what, what I'm actually looking to do is create a, um, a membership program so people can ask me questions, and I'll you know do videos out to a, a group, and then I'd have to repeat myself all the time. Yeah. And people can still get access, to, you know, to me. But as I say, I've put a lot of information already in the guide. But okay. um, 
yeah, people can try and get an appointment with me, but say it's hard. But um, they can if they link at the guide, then they'll be on my mailing list, and they'll find out about the membership group that, that's coming hopefully soon. Fantastic! Thanks, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and knowledge, and also your journey with us all oh, tonight and with pleasure. our audience thank as you. well. Like, yeah, it's, it's so so important for me, you know, to get a platform and yeah. No, it out there. It's thank you wonderful. for allowing us to share you and, and um, expose you to the people that we love so much. Thank you so much for that. We need to get you back on because we've just started. I can't believe it. You know, it's just been yeah. amazing listening to you tonight. But um, we could go on for hours, seriously. With the okay, wealth well, let's put another time and, and I'll come back. That'd be All great. Right, thank fantastic. That'd be great. Thanks All so right, much Thank for you that. so much for being on the show. All the best. Thank you, Mark, Dr. Mark. And that's uh, 87.6 FM, uh, Polar Bay Radio. And we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.